Hello and welcome to Wangaratta Baptist Church. My name is Pastor Aaron. I'm so thrilled that you've decided to join with us today for this message. This message was recorded live at one of our Sunday morning services, which are on every Sunday at 10 a.m. right here in Wangaratta. If you're here uh, in town on a Sunday, then why not come along and join with us in fellowship with other believers as we open the word together and hear from the scriptures. But if you are connecting with us online, don't let this replace uh, coming to a, a local church. Uh, they are vitally important for the growth of all believers. And so get along to your local church. But if not, then, then at least help. let this be a supplement to help you in your walk with the Lord. And so we do believe that the, the scriptures are the inerrant word of God and they're here to train us and equip us. And so we will be speaking and opening up the scriptures together. So, so get your Bibles out and follow along. And I trust that this message that you are watching today will really encourage you and inspire you and help you understand the hope that we do have in Jesus Christ. May it be a blessing to you. Well, first of all, I'd just like to welcome everyone to Alpha uh, as we begin our journey together through this today. Uh, it's great to have everyone, everyone with us to explore life, faith and meaning and the basics of Christianity through to the end of this term. Now, if you're here for the first time and maybe you haven't been in church much before or haven't even maybe even been to church for a while, well, congratulations on getting here, first of all. Because I think it's one of the hardest things to do is to actually come along to church, especially if it's not something that you've ever done much before. And it's well outside many people's comfort zones. You know, this series that we're going through called Alpha uh, was written by a pastor from England called Nicky Gumbel. And he says that for him, coming to Alpha is something that he doesn't think he'd ever would have done. His quote is saying... For much of my life, I was not a Christian. I wasn't brought up in it as, a, as a Christian. My father was a secular Jew and my mother was not a churchgoer. And really, I didn't like this kind of thing at all. Occasionally, I was dragged along to a talk like this. I remember the first time I was dragged along to a talk like this, I, I was determined not to listen to one word that the guy said. I remember there was a clock behind him. And I decided I was just going to watch the hands on the clock go round because I thought that would be more interesting than listening to what he was going to say. I had no interest in Christianity or church. All my associations with church were negative. I thought of it as boring, dreary. It made me feel slightly guilty. I don't know quite why, but, uh, you know, I just thought, well, God, Jesus, all that stuff is just not true. My father, Nikki says, was an, was an agnostic, but I became an atheist as a teenager. I decided that I was a determinist and I described myself very pretentiously as a logical determinist and I argued against the existence of God. I wrote an essay at school disproving the existence of God or so I thought and I would actually quite enjoy just arguing with Christians and trying to prove that there is no God. And I also thought this stuff is just not relevant to my life. I was having a great time enjoying my life, friends, parties, and just having a good time. 
And I couldn't see what some guy who lived 2,000 years ago, 2,000, 5,000 miles away, what relevance that could have to my life. And yet I think deep down now looking back, I would say that something was missing. I didn't go around all the time saying something's missing. But what I say, why I say that is because I wasn't really living the moment. I wasn't living the day. I was always looking for something else. You know, when I get this, then I'll be happy. Maybe this is the answer. Nikki says, I even remember as a teenager at school thinking, when I'm perfect, that will be great. And I became a prefect, not far from perfect, but a prefect, a very lowly prefect. And for three weeks, it was great being able to boss people around. But after about three weeks, I started thinking, there's got to be more to life than this. And I thought, well, maybe when I leave school, that will be the answer. When I left school, three weeks, that, that, was, that was freedom. But after about three weeks, I thought, there's got to be more than this. I thought, maybe if I get a girlfriend, somehow or other, he managed to get a girlfriend. And after about three weeks, he thought, well, there's got to be more to life than this. And I think it's easy to go through life. You get to the next stage, you get to whatever it is, and then you think, is this it? There's got to be more to life than this. Bernard Levin was one of the great columnists of the last century, and writing a long time ago, he wrote this. He wasn't a Christian. One time he wrote, for the 14,000th time, I'm not a Christian. And he also wrote this. Countries like ours are full of people who have all the material comforts they desire, together with such non-material blessings as a happy family, and yet lead lives of desperation, understanding nothing but the fact that there is a hole inside of them. And however much food and drink they pour into it, however many motor cars and television sets they stuff with it, they stuff it with, however many well-balanced children and loyal friends they parade around the edges of it, it aches. Russell Brand said this. He said, drugs and alcohol are not my problem. Reality is my problem. Drugs and alcohol are my solution to fill up a hole inside of me. And I think personally, looking back at my life, even though I had grown up in a Christian family, in a Christian home and been taught about Jesus my whole life, I think that was largely what I experienced too. There was a kind of hole, sort of like a, a hunger, maybe even a, a spiritual hunger. Jesus said in John 6:35, he says, "I'm the bread of life." He said, "I'm the one who can satisfy this spiritual hunger that really nothing else satisfies." I heard of one Japanese woman who described it like this. She said, in Japan, it's like we have two stomachs. We have one stomach for ordinary food, for meat and potatoes and that kind of thing. And that's like, I guess, the equivalent of the kind of things Bernard Levin was talking about. You know, the good things, maybe, you know, possessions, relationships and all that kind of stuff. That, that fills up one stomach. But she said, it's like I've got another stomach. And she described this as the rice stomach. She said, unless we eat rice, we don't feel satisfied. 
And I guess if Jesus had been speaking to her, he'd have said, I'm the rice of life. I'm the one who can satisfy this other stomach, this kind of spiritual hunger. My kids always say that there's always a dessert stomach because I've always got room for dessert. Mm. Now, now, why is it though? Why is it that there's this, this hunger? Well, Jesus said this in John 14 verse 6. He said, I'm the way, I'm the truth and I'm the life. You know, I heard about this couple who, uh, when their children were younger, they had an au pair from Sweden. And so this Swedish au pair girl came and, and hadn't quite mastered all the English idioms. They can be a bit tricky at times when English isn't your first language. And one time the children were having a big row in the upstairs bedroom and she ran upstairs and what she meant to say was, what on earth are you doing? But what she actually said is, what are you doing on earth? (laughs) Now that's a great question to ask. What are you doing on earth? In other words, where have I come from? Where am I heading? Who am I? What's the point of my life? Is there any real meaning and purpose to life? These are what you might call like first order questions of life. And a lot of people spend a lot of their life trying to find some sort of, some some kind of ultimate meaning or purpose in life. I think of the great Russian novelist Leo Tolstoy who wrote War and Peace and Karenina. And he also wrote another book called A Confession in which he told his life story. And he described how as a child he rejected Christianity and he started to search for meaning and purpose in his life. And at first he thought life's just about having a good time. Just make the most of life. Have fun. And he entered the social world of Moscow and St. Petersburg. He drank heavily. He was promiscuous. He led basically a wild life. And he found that kind of left him feeling a bit empty. He thought, well, well, maybe money's the answer. He inherited a lot of money and he started to make a lot of money from his books as well. And he found money's kind of like seawater. The more you drink of it, the thirstier you are. That didn't satisfy. And he thought, well, maybe like fame, importance, success, if I can be really successful. And he wrote what the Encyclopedia Britannica describes as one of the two or three greatest novels in the whole of world literature. It still didn't satisfy him. I was interested in something that the actor Jim Carrey said. He said this, I think everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see it's not the answer. And Tolstoy saw that that wasn't the answer. And he thought, well, maybe it's about relationships, marriage, family life. So he married in 1862 and had a very happy family and 13 children, which he said distracted him from his search of the overall meaning of life. He was surrounded by what looked like everyone looking on at at Tolstoy would say, wow, you've got everything. You've got complete happiness. 
And he said, yet one question drove him to the verge of suicide. And the question was this, what meaning has my life that the inevitability of death does not destroy? And he started to think and he thought, well, the philosophers must have an answer to this. The scientists must have an answer. And so he started to search in every field of science and philosophy to answer the question, why do I live? And the only answer he came up with was this. In the infinity of space and the infinity of time, infinitely small particles mutate with infinite complexity. He didn't find that very satisfying. And then he looked around at his friends, his contemporaries, and they, they weren't really even facing up to the question. And eventually he found in this very poor people of Russia that they had found the answer in their faith in Jesus Christ. A hundred years later, nothing's changed. Freddie Mercury, the lead singer of Queen, had amassed a huge fortune, attracted thousands of fans, but he admitted in an interview shortly before his death that he was desperately lonely. He said, you can have everything in the world and still be the loneliest man. Success has brought me world idolization and millions of pounds, but it's prevented me from having the one thing we all need, a loving, ongoing relationship. And ultimately, there's only one relationship that is totally loving and goes on forever, and that is relationship with God. And Jesus said, I am the way to that relationship. So what difference does it make? Well, a few years ago, my nan went to see an optometrist. Um, she's now passed, but this was, so this was a fair, fair few years ago. Um, because things just weren't quite as easy to see as they used to be. Um, she was already wearing glasses. So it's not like she was denying the fact that they were a necessary part of life, like maybe some people might be here. I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure there's no one that's denying that. Um, but anyway, she, she got her new prescription. And when she got home, she was amazed. It was like everything was in 3D again. She could see everything so much clearer, so much better than she had before. She spent the whole next week going right around the house and cleaning everything that she thought was clean before, but just couldn't see the dust or the dirt. Nan said, now I could see before, but I can really see with these. That to me is like the difference that Jesus makes. C.S. Lewis said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I can see it, but by it I see everything else. And to me it's like Jesus is the lens through which we see God. He's the way to God. And also he's the lens by which we see the world in a totally different dimension and clarity. Jesus said, I am the way. And he said, I am the truth. You could say, well, that's great. So nice for you. In this relationship with Jesus, you find meaning and purpose in your life. That's great for you, but it's not for me. Logically, that can't actually be the case. Because if it's true, it's true for everyone. And if it's not true, it's not great for me. 
So it really matters whether it's true. Again, C.S. Lewis, he put it like this. Christianity is a statement which, if it's false, is of no importance. And if it's true, it's of infinite importance. The one thing it can't be is moderately important. So that, that's the question. Is it true? And we're going to look at that in more detail next week. When I was a teenager, I really struggled with this question, is the Bible true? I'd been brought up being told the, the, the stories of the Bible my whole life. But something happened which made me really consider, is it actually true? Had what I'd been taught and was the Bible indeed true? Well, that sort of set me on a search and I'm not sure many other teenage boys are, you know, when they're searching for things, are searching through the scriptures, but that was me. Um, and after reading through much of the New Testament and, and really, really wrestling with this question, I came to the conclusion that it was true. What was written I saw validated throughout my life. And it's astonishing how much evidence there is for the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. Of course, there are many highly intelligent people who are atheists, but equally there are many highly intelligent people who've looked at the evidence, who've come to the conclusion that it's true, just like I did. Historians, for example, one former professor of modern history at Oxford University described the resurrection as the best attested fact in history. I hadn't really realised how many of the pioneers of modern science were believers. And I'm going to stuff up some of these pronunciations of these names because, you know, me and scientists aren't best friends. Um, but Descartes, Descartes, <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, here's one. I know Newton. Newton, he was a Christian. Kepler, Galileo, Copernicus, Faraday, Boyle, Mendel, Kelvin, Pasteur, Lister, Maxwell, Simpson, or even take some of the greatest scientists of our time. Francis Collins, who was director of the Historic Human Genome Project, one of the most respected genetic biologists in the world. He talks about how he investigated the evidence and he was amazed. He said, at the historical evidence for Jesus Christ. And he describes going out one day and looking at the beauty of creation and then he knelt in the dewy grass and he gave his life to Jesus Christ. Or take lawyers. Lord Denning, of course an English lawyer, arguably the greatest lawyer of the last hundred years, towered over the legal profession. He was a brilliant mind. And he was also well known for his Christian faith. He'd used these powers of analysis to look at the evidence and came to the conclusion it's true. His Bible was the most tattered book in his library. He was so interested in the evidence for Jesus. Now, when Jesus said, I am the truth, you know, the Hebrew, the, the, the Jewish understanding of truth was really not just intellectual truth, head knowledge, but heart knowledge. In other words, truth was experienced. What's the difference between intellectual and heart knowledge? Well, I've been married to my wife Kelly now for 17 years. 
But supposedly before we were married, before I'd even met her, I went into a bookshop and there was a book in there with a titled Kelly, The Amazing Woman. And I picked that up and I thought, oh, that looks really interesting. Chapter one, her extraordinary empathy. Chapter two, her caring personality. Chapter three, her potential to be a patient and long-suffering wife. Good one there. Chapter four, her excellent back-scratching skills. Or chapter five, her sporting ability. Quite a short chapter, that one. So would mine, by the way. Now, if I read that book and said, wow, she sounds like an amazing woman, right? That's head knowledge. Now, I can tell you she's an amazing woman. That's experience. When Jesus said, I am the truth, he was talking about experience of truth, that we could have a relationship with him and experience that Jesus, not just that there's evidence for the resurrection, but we can actually experience a relationship with the risen Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I'm the way. He said, I'm the truth. And then he said, I am the life. He said in John 10, 10, I've come that you can have life and have life in all its fullness. And he said, come to deal. He said he had come to deal with the stuff that stops us having that, to deal with the bad stuff, the things that spoil our lives and stop us enjoying life to the full. You know, some people hate shopping. Some even loathe it. And then there are some people who say that they're allergic to shopping. Most of these are men, but not, you know, I'm sure there's some women who aren't great on shopping, actually. Um, Jan this week told me about that. She likes to go and get everything done in 15 minutes, whereas Reg, on the other hand, you know, he'd love to take an hour and a half to do the same thing that Jan thinks takes 15 minutes. You don't mind me sharing that, I'm, I'm sure. Um, I came across this article which was entitled, Official, Men Find Shopping Stressful. No, don't uh, misunderstand me. I don't want to suggest any gender stereotypes here. I just want to read what the article said. It said, Male stress levels soar when they're faced with a dilemma of choosing gifts and coping with crowded shops. The research was conducted by psychologist Dr. David Lewis who monitored blood pressure and heartbeat before, during and after the shopping trip. The peak stress levels were equivalent to emergency situations experienced by pilots or policemen going into a dangerous situation. Even the thought of going shopping was enough to send stress levels soaring with more than 70% of men recording above average readings before leaving home. Nicky Gumbel is one of those 70%. He recounts a story that he went shopping with his wife, Pippa, and they bought a new jumper. Then they continued and went on to a very large and crowded department store. It was so large and crowded, it was even too much for Pippa. And they said, okay, let's just leave. And so as they were leaving, they go through the, you know, the little you know, security gates and the buzzers go off. And so the security guards say, stop. You people on the way in, you move over there. 
You people on the way out, you move over there. Those six people right in the middle going through those gates, you come with me. And so they said, okay, each one at a time, you've got to go through the thing. And so the first person goes through, fine. Second person goes through, fine. Third, fourth person goes through, fine. There's just, there's just Nicky and his wife, Pippa, there. Well, Pippa goes through, fine. So there's Nicky. Here he is. He's caught. He's thinking, oh my goodness, what's going on? You know, I'm going to go to jail. And he felt so guilty. And the crowd was watching. And he says, excuse me, sir, can we search your bags? And he says, yeah, sure. And he says that he felt so guilty. And it's, that it's false guilt. You see, that jumper that he had in the bag that they'd bought at the previous store still had the security tag on it. And so it wasn't an issue. But that, that's false guilt. There's also such a thing as real guilt. And I feel that at times too. Jesus came to deal with our guilt. And this is the amazing news. God loves you. You are loved. It's the most important thing to take away from my message today. You are loved. God loves you. And he came in the person of his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for you and for me. And he took all of our guilt, all of our bad stuff in your place and in my place in order that we should be free to enjoy life to the full. And this is the wonderful, most amazing, wonderful news. And to me, it's, it, it's, it's totally life-changing. And I've got a booklet here that Nikki wrote called Why Jesus? And there's a stack of them up there. So feel free to take them if you'd like one. There's plenty of them. I can print many, many more. There's lots of them. And in the back, there's a prayer which you can pray, which is similar to one I prayed myself. And it's a prayer which, in which I encountered Jesus. And it, it totally changed my life. This, this is a great booklet if you just want to go through and talk about, you know, answer some of those questions maybe um, about who he was, what he did, etc. So grab one of those, please. And it doesn't mean to say that even if you pray that prayer that life's easy. I don't believe it's easy to be a Christian today. In fact, I think it's actually really hard to be a Christian today. You know, there was an article about Alice Cooper, the rock musician, and he described his conversion. And he says this, it hasn't been easy combining religion and rock. It's the most rebellious thing I've ever done. Drinking beer is easy. Trashing your hotel room is easy. But being a Christian, that's a tough call. That's real rebellion. And it's not easy. What I would say is my experience is of this relationship with God through Jesus, I would say it's not boring. It's not untrue. It's not irrelevant. In fact, it's really exciting. I do believe it's true. And so it's so relevant to our lives today. And I've found that Jesus really is the bread of life. He's my staple diet. He's the one who gives us meaning and purpose. He's the one who satisfies this hunger. 
There's so much more that we're going to explore over the coming weeks ahead. And I want to encourage you to explore that with us together. You know, come back each week and bring a friend with you. As you can see, there's still some empty seats. We've got a little bit of space. We can fit people in. But over the cup of this morning, feel free to chat with others, maybe ask some questions, or if you'd like, you know, about what we've gone over today. But what I've found is that Jesus really is the way, the truth, and the life. And, and, and in relationship with him, we find life and life in all its fullness. Let me pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you that you indeed are the way, the truth, and indeed life. We thank you that you have come, Lord, to, to give us the fullness of life that is only found in you. And may we enter a relationship with you and learn more about the grace that you have for us in these coming weeks and about how all that impacts the rest of our life. And, but Lord, most of all, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you the good news that Jesus, you came, that you died on that cross and that you pay the penalty for our sins so that we can be free to have the fullness of life that is in you. As you've dealt with all of our guilt and all of our shame and all of our sin and everything else on that cross, Lord, we thank you that we are free to have a relationship with you. And so may you guide us and continue to help us on our journeys together. We pray in your name. Amen.